Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents, and welcome to the final episode of our 2021 Summer Vacation Series. We've gotten gotten to know comics from around the world who performed on our Isolation Comedy Online Show in 2020. I'm your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host Ms. Purrington will join us if she damn well pleases. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about mostly Austin comedy, you can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham on our Comedy Wham Facebook page or follow us on YouTube. You, um, oh, in addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, and an events page for live shows in Austin and Houston. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click submit a show to complete the short survey. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review us. Today, we are talking to somebody who is based in Houston, so we're we're bringing it Closer to home for our final summer vacation podcast series. Uh, A couple of things about this comic who is incredible. He's got a hilariously cringy YouTube video, Comedian Shuts Down the Reopening of Texas During COVID-19, which is a a, a good investment of seven minutes of of time. Uh, He is the events operations and marketing director, AKA the guy, at The Secret Group based in Houston. And he is one of our favorite comics from the 2020 Isolation Comedy Shows. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Zahid Duji. Hey, what's hey. going on? <laughs> I, uh, I had to pause in the middle of that to see what cap you were wearing. So you're representing oh, yeah. Terry Black's, Black's Barbecue. Oh. Very nice. Oh yeah, so good, so good. I, uh, I ate so much there. I know. <laughs> And a beef rib the size of my fucking arm there. It's great. Oh, yeah. Those are gigantic. Um, <laughs> uh, Zahid, I, I, I am very, very happy to finally catch up with you. It has been a whirlwind trying to catch up with you. And you are <laughs> somewhere in California right now, I think. Yeah, I'm in Sacramento right now. And then you're headed off to Chicago. and then- Chicago in the morning and then New York next week. Oh, my goodness. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, then I'm really, really happy that I caught up with you. Well, I'm happy we're able to do this because I like, so I'm such a fan of uh, the support that you give comics and stuff. So this is, oh, thank you. This is, thank this you. is neat. You know, yeah. I'm trying to do this for a while. So it's cool. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a, an official icebreaker question. And then I'm going to tell you a story about uh, watching you during the online shows last year that we had. Uh, so my yeah, official, yeah. my official icebreaker question is one mm. word to describe your past. Ooh. Um, one word to describe my past. God, that's so loaded. Everything. <laughs> Yeah, let's go with loaded. God. Um, yeah, it's my my favorite uh, Velvet Underground album too. Ah, loaded. Well, that uh, works. Yeah, he said it was loaded. He called it loaded because it was uh, loaded with hits, and it was uh, by by many a commercial flop. Hmm. So uh, I think that that uh, maybe maybe resonates <laughs> with me. <laughs> Fucking oh. bangers that go nowhere. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that and you're so self-deprecating about that. But anybody like, you know, obviously uh, we're Facebook friends. And yeah, yeah. anytime. Unfortunately, I, yeah, we are. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> all cats. Guy. It's all cats for me. <laughs> uh, everybody adores you so i you know and i i have a feeling that your you know your commercial success is i think part of this thing that you're you're doing is is part of kind of hitting a commercial success uh, but everybody adores you and they i think it's because you are hilarious obviously but also because you have uh, 
nurtured the secret group in Houston, which if, if anybody doesn't know what the secret group is, it's not a group. It is a, it's a comedy yeah. venue and yeah, yeah. it's very well respected and you have a ton of shows as I now know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I, I, I mean, I just want to say, I mean, I can't, I can't honestly take most of the credit. I mean, Andrew Youngblood and Stephen Brando, uh, Brando who now lives in believe Milwaukee, but uh, I mean, they're the, the original co-founders and I was just part of the original team. So it's a, it's yeah. a group of people. It actually started off as a, it's named after um, when we started doing comedy to all of us together, sort of at the same time, there was no real semblance of a scene uh, to be had. So a lot of these, a lot of these, a lot of us were all hanging around these same venues but none of us were really friends and then we became all of us became like when, when we started in like 2014 20 between like 2013 and like 2015 mm-hmm. this like class of comics there was yeah there was no real scene going on because it's so funny like you know louis ck uh recorded his first album in houston and houston was like notorious for having like all these clubs joe rogan and all these guys would come down they're like houston david tell you know this this is the fucking city and and then it had become sort of all these clubs closed and became like a tumbleweed city, basically. Ah, this is a long-winded way of saying when we started. I realized this. This is my brain does not work after last night. Sorry. But when we when we started, we started a secret Facebook group, and it was called the Secret Group. And then uh, we tried to name the venue. We're like, well, let's just call it this. And that's really good. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me. I usually the whole asking a word to from your past is meant to go back to, you know, your early days. And I do literally mean your, your childhood. Uh, oh, okay. And that's why I really enjoyed listening to, and oh, I feel so terrible. You, you did a podcast uh, with Pat Thomas. I remember the name. I just do not remember the title of the podcast. And it was called, it was called wasting my hour with Pat Thomas. <laughs> I know for oh. sure. That wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's um, great. I love him. Uh, and your background is very musical, it sounded like. And yeah. I found that really interesting. And and I have a, a bias about comics that have a background in music or have a lot of mm-hmm. exposure to, to music. And uh-huh. um, all of that means nothing, because what I really want to ask you is what role did comedy have in your childhood? Oh yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I used to watch stand up all the time as a kid. I just, huh. I mean, I, I fell into it so accidentally that when you look back, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But it's not something that I was like uh, pursuing uh, or trying to pursue. So when I look back, I still remember one of the first specials I ever watched was Ellen DeGeneres' special. Hmm. When she's like, she had just come out as gay and she was wearing this fucking shirt with like a moon on it like a like a full moon on the sh- on her shirt as an hbo special and um yeah anyways uh, a lot of i would say a lot of stand-up uh, as a kid um john leguizamo's freak was oh, super important it was like one yeah. of the best things i ever saw the more i watch that or i look back and i watch it, i'm like this guy is like a genius like it doesn't even make sense to me how good it is um yeah, I, when, you, when, when I, you when you say you were watching a lot of stand up as a kid, I mean, I yeah. I need frame of reference because my my son is you know what watches a lot of of stand up because my hobby is is comedy. I mean, are right. we talking before you were ten or as a teenager? Yeah, before I was ten. I oh mean, wow! Uh, I think I sort of. I mean, stand up's always been cool. I think it's actually like less cool now, but unfortunately. <laughs> But it was always it was always attractive. Um, I remember when uh, we would also watch Seinfeld as like when we were little with like our parents, and I didn't really understand the in between parts. Like when he like did stand up, like I didn't get that. Uh. I was like, what does he do? But uh, yeah, when I was little, I wrote. I told my brother I must have been like nine or ten. But I told my brother uh, we were driving in a car, and I went, uh, I go, what's the deal with yellow lights? Um, they 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 want you to slow down, but people speed up. Uh-huh. And I think that might have been like my, and then when I told my, I know it's really, I know, I know it's so good. You can't even wrap your mind around it. I know. And my brother, 
when I told him I started doing stand-up, he was like, he's like, boy, do I have a joke for you. <laughs> and he was like, what's the deal with the yellow light? And so to this day, I, my goal is to get on TV and close on that joke uh-huh. on television and then tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> it would just be like a 20-year-long joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So. And, yeah. Uh, so, so the what's the deal with the yellow? The question. I don't know if I answered the question. Yeah, and, <laughs> I have no I, idea. I don't even remember the question. To be honest, <laughs> that's how. That's why I call this a conversation, not uh, uh, yeah, yeah. because it, it just goes all over the place. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I want to tell you this: the story about watching your online show and I don't know how many online shows you ended up doing but I you know I, I knew your of your reputation that everybody uh, adored you and you you know were with a secret group and mm-hmm. I had to go pick up my boyfriend at the airport on the night that you were doing our show and so I literally was driving to the airport and my uh-huh. son was holding the phone so I could watch. You. Oh my god, it's so funny! <laughs> because you're so funny, and uh, you know the and this podcast only goes out by by audio. But much like that mm. show, you're lying in bed. So now I'm starting to think that that is all you do. This is, is my dream just- job. <laughs> my dream job is. I mean, I would love to do a set where just John Lennon style. Uh, I sit in bed, and people come into my room. I tell jokes and much like a king, I then uh, I then sh- I then shrew them. I I I motion to them for them to go away. And yeah, I'm done with this set. This would be, and then a man, and then somebody comes in and gives me a sandwich, and then no one talks to me for the rest of the day. That would be my ideal comedy show. Um, <laughs> I can see only, that. By the way, I, I've said this before, and I'll say this again. The only part about comedy that I don't like is that an audience is there. I do not need them to be there. <laughs> I do not. I might be the only comedian that does not require an audience. <laughs> it actually is a disdain of their presence. That's going to make it really tricky for you. <laughs> I know. I've been. I, now you understand my predicament. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. quite quite challenging. Well, I guess uh, <laughs> one of one of my favorite specials is Chelsea Peretti's. I don't know if you've seen her special. Can't again, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. can't remember the funny. name of it. But one of the funny things is she will do pans to the audience. And instead of being yeah. audience members, it's stuffed animals or, you know, yeah, really random yeah. things. So uh, I, it can obviously be done. So I, I believe in I you. Remember, I remember. Thank you. I remember <laughs> when that came out. I, I remember that came out that that was such like a funny thing. We were all talking about her doing that because it was such, such a unique, funny thing. Uh-huh. I was just I was just running this idea by my friend Caleb Wemmon. Uh, whose house I'm in and who uh-huh. I'm on tour with here. I wanted to do, I, this is a really, this is a really bad idea, but I want to do it. <laughs> I want to do a one-on-one comedy shows, comedy for one person, like where there's a big stage and then one seat in the, uh, in the whole audience. I, I would. Ev- no, go yes, ahead. Ev- go ahead. Everyone, everyone, uh, the show is an hour and a half long, but you get to pick 15 minute slots. So people come in and I, we do the show normally, but it's for one person at a time for 15 minutes. I, I really gonna, want to do that. Yeah, I was going to say that I would 100% go to that show because I don't like sitting around people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's something for everyone. And so, yeah. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think one person is the amount of audience members I can tolerate. <laughs> one person like anything more it's too much you know I, I wanted to say to you that one of the one of my favorite memories from the the online shows was with uh i've told this to colton before because colton was hosting a bunch of them right yeah yeah maybe, maybe all maybe all of them. just about but all of them yeah i remember one time because we had done a few of them and clearly the pandemic had like taken us over uh like mentally because one time colton <laughs> Colton was like hammered and he started the show and he goes, he goes, welcome folks. Another fucking zoom show. <laughs> I, I, I laughed so hard. man. That made me laugh. 
<laughs> Welcome, folks. Here's another fucking Zoom show. <laughs> it's like one of the funniest. I had to like mute my mic. I think I was like laughing so hard because he was he was having such a good time and he was clearly like losing it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it made me laugh so hard. Fuck. Um, so where does this this curmudgeonly style that you have, which does translate to your <laughs> your stage present, like I was watching a few of your your clips, yeah. and where you I'm were sorry. actually standing up on a stage. There's no bed in sight, and like <laughs> uh, you have this, you're kind of mean. <laughs> I know people say that. I don't think so. I think it's a joke to me that like <laughs> like being mean is like it's fake, so it's funny. It's funny yeah. to me. It's it's almost fun to be mean because it's not real. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm sorry. Continue. Anyway, yeah, no. Continue. So, where does that curmudgeonly style come from? And when you when you started, is that how you were? Like, what's been your evolution? Ugh, sorry, I said that. Uh, what has been your <laughs> what's been your process? Um, <laughs> uh, actually, um, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say actually because I just you know I f- I feel like because this is our last, so I kind of feel like Colton right now because all summer <laughs> long I've been interviewing comics, uh, yeah, 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 and I'm just now I'm letting loose and I'm feeling very Colton. It's like you know it's another I love fucking that. summer like- vacation. <laughs> That's my favorite. Whenever it gets to that point, when it gets to the breaking point where I maybe I think maybe the question in this situation is the answer. But when it gets to the breaking point, I think. uh, I think that is it. Like, like when you're just like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like I'm I'm tired. And when you get there's something funny about that, but there's something also maybe real about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I think like you're you're never more. Are you try to be as uh, true to yourself artistically or comedically when you uh, have nothing to lose or whatever? When you're like whatever, you know, like what doesn't yeah. matter. And then and there's something that that funny or, or good that comes out of that. It may be in music yeah. and art too, you know. So yeah, uh, I mean Van Gogh fucking cut his own fucking ear off. You know what I mean? And right. that's how I feel as, as a stand up. I'm like, I don't even want to hear this. I don't even want to hear what I'm saying right now. Does that mean I'm a real artist? I think so. <laughs> so you had said earlier that you you didn't pursue comedy. You were, if I'm right, uh, like you have a music education background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, music was has been a big part of your life. So what was it that made you pursue comedy? I had uh, I actually, funnily enough, met um, uh, back in 20, at the beginning of 20, literally we had just turned New Year's in 2014. I believe it was 78 degrees outside. It's like the longest winded back. Like, look at, look, do you hear what I just said? I just went, I believe it's <laughs> this is how I tell stories. Yeah, this is like, what is this fucking Charles Dickens died? Get to the goddamn point, idiot. Uh, <laughs> Which is literally what my boyfriend tells me when I start to tell a story. Oh my god! Uh, my friend Caleb, while I'll start talking, he'll go, "Can you yes. just? Can you just? Can you just get to the thing?" Yeah. Um, I met. I met. It was really happenstance. I met a. I met a friend of a friend who, at the time, uh, told me that he was doing uh, open mics, and I say that it's funny because I just met him. In, he lives in San Francisco now, so I just met him after two years again. Uh-huh. And every time I see him, I'm like, you know, you're the reason I do comedy. But um, uh, my brother was in town. We were at a bar, and then he said, "I." My, my brother said he wanted to go see stand up because he lives in New York. So I was like, I just met somebody. Let me give him a call, and then I called them. They happened to answer, huh. and then it happened to be the same day that one of like three mics in the city was happening and so he was like come to this mic and because there was not a lot of people doing comedy in the city at the time which sounds crazy because every open mic you go to has 400 people on it and it never ends and it's a fucking nightmare <laughs> and so at the time there's only 11 comics on the list and the wow. mic ended at 11 30 how insane is that wow it ended early it ended before the bar closed which does not even not even thinkable anymore uh-uh. Um, and so then they did this thing called late night story time where somebody from the people from the audience could go up and tell a story. And I told a story from my brother about when we were little, 
we found out that we had the Playboy channel and we woke up in the morning, three in the morning to go watch it together. And then, yeah. And then we were, we were, we weren't supposed to tell. And of course he told a week later Ugh. and then there was a whole story about that. And then I got a couple of laughs. So I left and I told my brother, I was like, I think I'm going to go do that again. And uh, you know, seven, eight years later, I'm talking to you on the phone in bed in, San, yeah. in Sacramento. So <laughs> life is a, Life it's a pinnacle. Funny, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you? Okay. So I know that you have a music education background. Did you perform music? Uh, on stage or, no, no, or yeah. before? Like you, yeah. Before you started with comedy, what, what's, what were you doing with music? I was writing a lot. I was writing okay. a lot of music. Um, okay. I think I kind of like jokes. I think I was obsessed with like, and I still, a lot of the times I'm uh, obsessed with melody and structure and I just couldn't figure out how you did that. Like I, and then it took me a long time. I think I've gotten better at it, but it's a constant, you know, so I was learning theory and piano and a little guitar and trying to sort of figure out the Rubik's cube of, of that music is. And um, I don't think you get there all the way, but you get a little bit closer. You know? Yeah. So you were performing music not really. Yeah. It's one of the things I almost miss. I, I, um, I wish I did that more in, in my life, uh, which is perform music rather than just sit back and uh, like obsessively, <laughs> obsessively toil over perfect yeah. melodies. Okay. So then the, the factor of you being on a stage performing music, that means yeah. you performing on stage as a comic was a new thing. Like you being on stage was a new thing. No, that's not. No, I, I got okay. actually got into I got into school as an actor, so I was acting for a long time. Ah, ah. I just um, I didn't like act. I and I still don't really like actors, or but you know I have a I have I, mean, I have more of a I, I had a I had a huge love for it. I ended up hating it, and now I have a a good middle ground respect for it because it's I think it's fun and 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 it's cool. They put on shows, and we can get to, we get to watch shows and plays and all those things i just don't like that whole world i think even comedy like when it's like circle jerky you know like we're so fantastic and look at us <laughs> <laughs> i love that there's like the seinfeld thing where he says like an award show and he goes why are we at this he goes why are we why do we give actors awards they're not geniuses he goes oh he's a genius he goes we, we tell them to wear these clothes we give them the script and we go stand there and say these lines he's a genius <laughs> You go, none of the work was none of the work that actors do is done by actors. <laughs> it's done by <laughs> everyone true. around actors. That's true. But yeah, anyways, I uh I I what I liked about stand-up is that you could write it yourself. Okay. And you can it was you know, it's a one-man thing, it's not like a whole group thing, and you're not tapping into some deep-seated emotion or whatever. You're like, here's a funny thought, and you go out there and tell it. Yeah. It's pretty simple. One of the things that I always find striking about comics who have a musical background, and I can think of, so we, we all know and love Avery Moore. who has a very strong musical background as a performer. Yeah, she's the best. I love her. She's, and, so, she's so good that in normal situations, I would make a joke about how much I hate that person, like as a funny thing. Uh -huh. But I, I, I love her so much that she transcends that joke. For, like she transcends me having to, you know, like fuck with it at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then just a handful of other comics with that musical background, like they understand pacing kind of innately. Yeah. And I, I know this is going to come off really weird, but that I, I specifically referenced that YouTube video uh, that you, you made because mm. despite it being incredibly monotone, like <laughs> <laughs> your delivery is like very like, you know, if I were to look at the audio levels, it would be just, there would be no spikes. It would just be all yeah, very yeah. level. But I thought at first, I'm like, what the hell? There's like no variety here. But then I, as I'm watching it, and of course, obviously tied to what's happening on this, this, the video itself, uh -huh. I'm like, oh, this is, this is actually kind of rooted in music. Like there's just a purpose to it. Yeah, with yeah, yeah, being monotone. I, I know I'm garbling what I'm trying to convey, but I'm like, I, I actually legitimately thought to myself, this has a music pacing an element to it. Cool. Yeah, uh, I did it with a music producer actually. So that's funny that you meant that. Oh you, wow! 
that you took that away. Yeah, uh, my buddy Ed Gardner is an amazing music producer. He lives in New Orleans now. Yeah. Um, we've been working on some projects together, and we were working on a lot of comedy stuff because he's also tapped in or was tapped into the Houston comedy stuff when he was mm-hmm. here. And um, we, we, I mean, the, the, the reason... It was, I wouldn't say it was intentionally monotone, but what, what we were trying to do is because so much of the information is important for that, mm-hmm. for that, because it's eight minutes long. That's such a long time. Yeah. To, to talk about a, any one thing now, it feels. So I feel like it was, it was to not get too distracting, you know, because there's also like the video and there's, there's just a lot of information to convey. So I thought that, um, it was better to just speak it and then hopefully like you can drag the listener in rather than trying to sell them on it, which is right. something that we were trying not to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I highly recommend anybody who's listening to, to go check it out. Um, Thank you so much though. I'm going all over the place here. That's so- okay. That's how conversations <laughs> with me are generally. So, so yeah. we, we, you started off in 2014 and yeah. what is it you I mean, you did mention that the part of the reason that you liked it is because, you know, it's you get to write stuff. Mm-hmm. But was there something else that you you was was what was dragging you back to the stage? I mean, you apparently mm-hmm. don't care if you have an audience. Well, I'll say it this way. It's like this is like a really I don't mean this to say this in a cocky way, but I do think it's a, an honest it's an honest thought. And uh-huh. um I, I do feel that 90% of comedians should not do comedy because they're not comedians in their bones. Yeah. And what I mean is I, I don't try to get out on a basketball court and dunk because that would be fucking insane. Yeah. And I think that some people are drawn to comedy in for different reasons. And I think some people have to do comedy because they're wired like that inside. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I remember listening to this, all the smoke. It's a basketball podcast that my friend just introduced me to a couple uh, last year. And Tracy McGrady, who is a former Rockets player, they were talking to him and they were like, you know, when you were playing, you're like one of the hardest people to guard. You're such an offensive beast. And he's like, and they're like, how did that happen? And he was just like, he said, um, he goes, man, just God given talent. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, when I was 17, I could throw 60 yards on my knee. And that does that mean, does that, do I mean, hey, I'm the funniest person alive and no one, no, absolutely not. I'm, you're always striving for more. But when I saw comedy, I was like, I fucking know this inside. Yeah. I just have to get better at it. And I still, um, it's the same thing with music is like, you still want to get the melody right. You still want to, you're still trying to click this Rubik's Cube. But I do think that internally it makes sense to me at a, uh, at a baseline level. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people, um, I watch them and I'm like, sure, you can construct the joke or you can do this, but you're not. Unfortunately, you just you suck. <laughs> I know that sounds really mean and really cocky to say. Yeah. And it's how I feel. And so what am I going to not feel that way? Yeah. I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it, you know. Yeah. So um, was it was it a matter of you felt that way from day one, or you had always felt this way, like even before you you got up on that stage to tell that first story? Yeah, I, I would say it's kind of like finding somebody that you like. It's like a relationship. Like like when I found it, I was like, oh, I love her. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I See, don't know anything about this person, but I know that I love yeah. her. And so comedy was, yeah, it's a really God. I hated that. I just used that goddamn analogy. <laughs> um, so then given the limited stage time that existed in Houston for comics or, you know, for mm-hmm. new comics, yeah. uh, how, how did you, you know, get those, those hits? And- oh, I think that was just like, like all of us. I mean, you just keep going up. You just keep going up. You know, you know, the saddest thing for me really quickly is, is that, comics that are really really good that i wish kept doing it they always stop doing it and comics that i wish would stop doing it always continue doing it it's a it's it's a just i was just thinking about i just 
when you said it, how did you, I think that by seeing great comedians that ended up stop doing it mm-hmm. because of how much it, it takes your time. So it's like, you would go up, you just kept going up, you keep going yeah. up, you keep going up. You like, wherever you can find it, you go up, you know, you're like this mini little drug addict along with being a regular drug addict. <laughs> you, <laughs> most comedians along with being a regular drug addict are yeah. addicted to comedy. Right. And I've done every every show, every fucking venue, bowling alley, senior citizen birthday party. You know, I did a I did a show once for a beer. There wasn't even a person in the audience, uh, which I would now would love. But when I started, I had waited for an open mic for so long that everybody had left and there was just a beer on the table and the bartender was cleaning up and I still did my set. It's like you still <laughs> you do it. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. do it. So it's like, I don't think you really get it. I think you just keep, you get closer to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very interested because it sounds a lot like the Houston comedy scene was where Austin was in the early 2010s where, you know, it was a relatively small scene and then it just started to blow up to what we see today. Um, Yeah, man, I could see that. Did you have, other than the secret group, did you have a hand in starting to create your own shows or starting to do your own open mic so that you can kind of add to the stage time that was possible? Um, I, so I, were, I was given a, there was another small theater in Houston at the time called Beta Theater. Um, and Beta Theater was sort of this, I mean, it fell to the wayside a couple of years ago for a, for a litany of reasons. Um, but it was a cool hub for like alt comedy. And and I mean that in the grandest sense of the term, like sketch, improv, weird theme shows, some stand up. It was like a lot of, and so there's a small group of people there and I, they gave me my first show, which was like the triple header. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just me presenting three comics doing 20 minutes. And at the time, not a lot of comics were getting that much, t- like 20 minutes of time to do. Yeah. Um, and so... I was I was treated pretty pretty shittily when I started Houston, like in comedy in Houston. So that theater was a place that was always giving me opportunities. Uh, and so, and then Austin was the other place because Austin was like the first. That's why I met Avery and stuff, uh, and a you know a bunch of Austin comics. Because I would go there all the time because I couldn't get as much work in Houston. So yeah, okay. Um, so I like to focus on the negative. Do you think that you? Uh, were treated shittily because you were going through that whole rite of initiation that all new comics get where they're treated kind of badly or yeah. was it something else? I, I think it's a, it was a confluence of things. I mean, one of the things that Houston was really uh, at the time, uh, I think that there was an old way there was, there was a, there's a transition of, the old way of thinking about comedy to the new way of thinking about comedy. So mm. a lot of things that we now have labels for, or have uh, worked through, you know, um, misogyny wise, diversity wise, mentality wise, like we've come out stronger through it and we're all more respectful of each other. Okay. But when we started that, I don't think that respect was there. And it was sort of like, like it, it, it just felt, I feel like people at the time were doing a version of what they thought they were supposed to act like. Like we're comics. We're supposed to do this. And I'm like, or you could just be a fucking person. (laughs) (laughs) And we know that, right? We know that now because we've gone through the mistakes. Um, Austin being the goddamn liberal haven bubble (laughs) bullshit thing that it is. uh, (laughs) This is what I'm saying about mean. It's like funny to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) it's like there's truth there but i'm like it's fun i like it yeah uh austin was supportive and uh and i because i didn't live there didn't have to deal with the internal click stuff that i found out later it's the same side of the same coin you know austin has its its own cattiness houston had its own thing houston was more bro-y about it you know Mm -hmm. like and austin's austin and so it's more like um subtle and you know clicky that way and so I don't know. I don't really like, I just, I just think at the, t- I think we've learned so much about how we all feel about each other. Like, like through internet culture and stuff now, sure. I think, 
I think that things are more transparent than they've ever been. That's why when new comics complain, I'm like, shut the fuck up. What are you, what are you? It's, it's the easiest it's ever been. What yeah. are you even doing? Like, if you think this is bad, like, I hate being that guy. Really, you know, when I when I was your age, it's but that's how I feel. I'm like, dude. They used to throw bricks at me, <laughs> just like that, you know. Oh man, but that's how it's that's how it felt, you know. And yeah. I'm like, this is easy. Like, what are you complaining about? Yeah. So, how often did you find yourself heading to to Houston, I, Austin? I mean, the you know the liberal hippie city. I uh, I was going there every six to eight weeks. Actually, I was going there wow. quite a lot. Yeah, um, and then it was so funny because I would go there and I remember people would make comments like, you're going to fucking Austin? Because Austin and Houston were not great friends back then. Yeah. Uh, when the Seeker Group came, that changed. And I, I, I will say that in that, because of the relationship I had made with Austin Comics at the time, I knew more of them from having gone there before the club started. So when the club started, I was able to bridge that gap more or try to bring more people in and now yeah. like even dallas houston san antonio like all those comics know each other but when we started in 2014 i didn't know a single fucking san antonio comic i didn't know anybody you know what i mean like yeah that wasn't even a thing that was happening um but um yeah i would go there every six to eight weeks roughly and then uh velveta room uh mario gave me my uh, first hosting weekend at the velveta room and that was the first hosting weekend i ever did outside of houston oh wow cool yeah which was nice i had to headline it last uh headline the club last weekend and that was a very special uh uh special thing because i remember that i I, that was a club that i was like i would go to all the time and be so intimidated by Mm -hmm. uh and so even seeing your like more so than seeing your name on a marquee at the improv it was i I liked seeing my name in chalk on the side of the ground that was yeah (laughs) that was some guy just Mike writing it on, on a chalkboard was more important to me than some guy putting it in big letters. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great room too. It's just... Oh yeah, man. When I, you know, when I, when I first started uh, there, oh, sorry, my first hosting weekend there, uh, Mario looked at me and he goes, you know, so when I nod my head, uh, you know, you just go up and I go, yeah, totally. You know, uh, I'm not freaking out or anything. And, uh, <laughs> And then he nods his head and I go up and I do my set and I get off stage and he goes, what the fuck, man? What the fuck was that? And I go, what? And I, I, I goes, he goes, I said, you nod, you, you nod your head. I went up and he goes, yeah, not, I was going to do the goddamn music and the introduction <laughs> for the show. Meaning nod my head. We're getting started. Not nod my head. Go up there. <laughs> and I go, oh, and he goes, I thought you'd done this before. And I go, no. <laughs> and and to, to Mario's credit, uh, he would always pull me aside and he goes, I'm not going to fire you. I just want to start the conversation by saying, I'm not going to, you're still going to work the weekend, yeah. goes, but just do this and then watch this. And then he would give me all these tips. And um, I would talk to Avery and Avery was like, Mario doesn't do that with anybody. <laughs> oh, so wow. Mario was like always kind of helping me hone my hosting, yeah. which uh, I, you know, I owe him a, a good amount of credit for. Yeah. So you then evolved into being part of the crew that starts the secret group, not the Facebook group, but the secret group, the venue. Yes. And was that, well, actually tell me how far into your comedy career that was. A couple. Thank you for calling it a career. I saw about the journey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had left a job. So my friend, Steven Brando, Brando, why do I keep fucking, it's Brando. Why do I keep... You ever like say a word and it just loses meaning? Yes. And that's what's happening in my head. I'm like, is it, am I gaslighting myself into thinking it's pronounced differently? This is <laughs> Brando, Stephen Brando, the guy that I've known for so long, <laughs> whose name suddenly I can't fucking figure out how to say. He had told me we went to go see a, a, The Voids, or sorry, Julian Kessler from The Strokes. We went to go see a concert and uh, we're outside smoking a cigarette in the middle or something. And he, and he goes, I'm thinking of starting a club. And, uh, I went, yeah, the, the, the day you start a comedy club, I'll leave my job and come work for you. So like sarcastically. <laughs> and then he, the next year he started one and I did that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I came, okay, yeah, I started, um, I remember we came in. It was right around, I was, I was three, maybe four years in, so right in the middle. Wow. Um, yeah, and I, I remember coming in and, 
you know, he did bitch work. Like when I started, it was only three of us. I didn't, yeah. I know I didn't, we didn't have anybody. So I was painting ceilings. I was sweeping. I was putting the marquees up. We, we didn't even know what we were doing. Like we literally didn't know anything. Like we were like, like, we were so excited to start the club. And then the club opens and you're like, what do we oh, do? We have to like fill the calendar now. And like no one, we were like coming up with show ideas. And it was just like, it was like we're trying to save the rec center, like one of those things in a movie. We're like, we gotta yeah. save the rec center. <laughs> no clue how to do this. Um, and so yeah, over the, you know, I didn't even know how Photoshop worked back then. I literally learned. Photoshop oh my gosh! <laughs> through my job. Um, it's yeah, it's just wild how much stuff with comedy I've learned over a lot. Working there was like a, a comedy boot camp, like. I got sure. all aspects of the business. I think it would take maybe somebody like 10 years what I learned there in like three, just mm-hmm. because you're doing it all the time, all every single day, every waking moment. Yeah. No, I mean, I think of the people who have been part of opening up clubs. And I think everybody who, who is in the comedy knows that David Rodriguez right now is like the, you know, that's the hot thing of, yeah. of starting a new club because he just started the comedy fort yeah. and, you know, watching that. But he's got, you know, he's got more than three years of comedy experience under his belt. So he's, you know, yeah. had time to learn and observe. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, then, he- I mean, on the one hand, it's good to not know anything because then you're just a blank slate and you figure out yeah. how you want to do it. Totally. But the thing that he's smart about is he opened up, but, and I'm, by the way, I'm excited. I'm going to do the room in uh, October. So I'm stoked for That's that. That's awesome. I went to Colorado, um, went to a show. It is amazing. It's as amazing really? as everybody. Yeah. It's yeah. I'm it's excited, great. man. Well, he was smart enough from what I understand to open up a room with one room in it. Mm-hmm. We opened up the comedy store for Houston. Like <laughs> it's got, a 80 person black box, a 250 person showroom, and then another bar in the front. It's like, it's uh. like, we're so dumb that we didn't <laughs> like in retrospect, it should have been so much smaller than it was. Mm. It didn't need to be that big. Yeah. Like it's like, it's like not knowing how to write, you know, drive a car and buying a goddamn like fucking 18 wheeler. You know, that's, that's how it felt. Where we were like, this is too big. We fucked up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think in retros, I think we had to make it work because we didn't we realized too late that it was too big. Yeah. But on the other <laughs> hand, you can bring things like uh, you know, I know people have different opinions about this, but on the other hand, you can bring something like the Skank Fest Festival South to the secret group. Yeah. Because yeah. you have the multiple rooms. Right. The thing that I also hate when people are like, can you believe I'm like, dude, it's a fucking business. Do you not want us to make money? Yeah. Even if you hated the act, whatever you like, it's keeping the doors open. You idiots. It's like, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, however, I'm saying, however you feel about it, not whether you like it or hate them, however you feel, you should be happy that there's business coming through a venue. Because the other option is right. less business. And- yeah. And that it's essentially a homegrown business. You know, everybody knows you. You started in started comedy. You kind of grew up, uh, put, put your paces in, and now you're part of, of running yeah. a venue. So it's like, but, why? But, but their mentality is like, let's say like, you know, I think the mentality is like, if, if we don't host Skankfest, then they won't ever find another venue ever. That's yeah. it. If we don't host it, it's going to go away. Yeah. You know, like it's so crazy to be like, we're the thing propping it up. Like, if you're one of those people that's like, can you believe that? Like, it's just going to go somewhere else. It's like nothing's going to change. Yeah. Why are yeah. you mad about this? This doesn't affect you at all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and the wild I mean? thing is with, with comedy, you know, so because I'm so uh, intimately involved with our events calendar and, and maintaining, you know, all the entries that come in. It's that like, sounded like you fuck your calendar. Yeah, I intimately mean, involved. I'm so, I feel like it's sometimes. <laughs> it's a very dirty relationship. <laughs> I'm so intimately involved with my calendar. There's a million goddamn shows a night. 
Sahib. No. And so know, it's know, like, know, know, know. how so do you much. have the the brain capacity to be mad? Because the next day there's going to be a hundred new shows. And well, that's the yeah. No, you're totally you're you're completely right. You're I, like honestly like, and that's what that's one of the things I think is a learning lesson too, which is like anytime that there's like uh uproar or like you know people are like i'm like as soon as it's done they forget so why are you like yeah i'm not worried about it because come december literally no one will yeah like unless something happens at the festival that you know yeah you get some fucking hinge cliff shit or something happens and it's like okay i'm sure then we'll have some reason to talk about it but if the festival just happens and nothing you know crazy goes off yeah it'll be forgotten about by december no one yeah. will even be talking you know so I have learned that like when people in comedy are are like lynch mobbing in whatever, in whichever, whether they're right or wrong, whatever side of the thing that they land on, it just goes away. So it's like, yeah. just, you know, don't, you don't have to pay any more attention than it needs. Yeah. I think there's still a little bit of pain with the thing that happened in Austin with, with Tony Hinchcliffe and mm-hmm. I've, I'm not going to go into the, like, how do you feel about what happened? But I am interested because you are uh, running a venue. What I noticed about all the shows after that one and after that blew up is everybody did the lockdowns on the phones. And as a venue, did Mm -hmm. obviously you heard about what happened. Did you as a venue? No, what happened? No, not gonna. You can listen to my other podcast where I went, went into it. <laughs> I, it was crazy because, like, I had scheduled an interview with Brandon Lewin, who runs Big Life Comedy, and uh-huh. that was the show under his, you know, his Vulcan gas. I yeah, scheduled yeah. the interview with him like the week after that happened. So <laughs> we ended up spending so much time talking about it. And you can go to oh, that wow. episode. <laughs> so. Well, okay, okay, I might, I might do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy, but I know I started noticing because I log uh, the headliner shows. I started noticing everybody had a "We're gonna lock your phone down." Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that that's a good thing mm-hmm. because. I guess in so many ways I do have to address the Tony thing in order to make this point. And to be honest, I'm just over talking about him. That's why I'm like, yeah, like I, you know, I'm just done having that like, yeah. Uh, thing with him. Cause it's so fucking infuriating what he did and how he doesn't get it. <laughs> um, but um, I do think that at the same time, you don't want people recording sets that are out of your control. You don't want that. I wouldn't want that. You know, I also wouldn't fucking say what he said, but I don't want, I don't want anything that I said being recorded if, uh, if it's not under my control. So in that regards, uh, it's good yeah. to not because, and I have people at my fucking Tuesday show that take out their phones. I'm like, don't please put that away. Like, don't put that on your story just be here just be here in the moment you don't yeah. have to you don't have to walk away with evidence of whatever the show is yeah uh, so uh, i'll give you a little pointer actually because if you're going to be performing at the comedy fort the show that i watched was uh dave uh, wait and oh, cool, cool, cool. it was such a treat because i saw dylan sullivan walk in he was featuring uh-huh. and lizzie wolfson also uh featuring and they were mm. both you know i i Lizzie was on our online show and then Dylan, I had just booked for uh, my showcase and the, the little pointer that I'll give you because this happened to Dave when he went up, he got mad that people were on their phones. And the reason that they were on their phones is you can scan a QR code to uh, order your drinks. Uh, so they don't have really a whole big wait staff to just you know hey do you need a drink so just you know that's my little pointer just remember people are going to be on their phones because they're ordering drinks which you want uh, that to happen but i'm gonna yell at them i'm gonna yell at them either way regardless of what they do that's exactly what dave did (laughs) i they're gonna hear it from me (laughs) (laughs) i like doing comedy as an angry parent 
<laughs> Maybe that's why I connect. Maybe that's why I really like your comedy because I am an angry parent. <laughs> Funny. Um, it's like this: yeah. you're you're mean, but then you're really not that mean. So maybe that's that's why. I think I, I think my body also adds to it because it's like, you know, it's like it's a shitty body, so no one takes it seriously. <laughs> like if I was like a buff big guy, I think it would be like too much. Yeah. You see like a scrawny sort yeah. of skeleton <laughs> man yell at you. You're like, I can't take this seriously. It's like, um, I told somebody, I told somebody recently at dinner this week that my, uh, my body looks like when you take the feathers off of a bird and um, that got too much of a laugh. They were like, like my friend enjoyed it too much. Where I was like, it's actually hurtful. But this is not right. hurtful. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry hold it in valerie i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) it got that response so um (laughs) i have to go now (laughs) (laughs) oh before you go (laughs) yes yes yes, yes, yes. um we are starting to to get close to our time i don't want to monopolize all of your recovery you know time um (laughs) but there's a couple more things that i want to uh cover with you and one is you're you're on this tour, and one of the things that you had mentioned in Pat Thomas's podcast, the name of which I cannot remember, but I listened to the entire thing and loved it, uh, was how you do a lot of touring, not necessarily touring, but you travel to go uh, perform comedy. And yeah. you know, is that some? What was it about doing that that pulled you into? It's everything. It's like I was just like drunkenly chewing someone's ear off about this last night you know you wake up and you're like what the fuck did i talk about <laughs> uh i was te- you end up paying all these all these all this money to submit to all these festivals um 20 bucks here 40 dollars there you know out of every five to seven festivals comics will submit to they get into maybe one so that's mm-hmm. like you spent 200 bucks at that point submitting to a festival and you get into that festival, you got to buy your own ticket, fly there. And I keep telling people, I'm like, you know, you can just go to that city. <laughs> you don't have to, you can yeah. just go there. You don't need, you don't need this festival validation. Maybe, maybe you do. Cause I guess I've done a couple of them and now I'm like more selective about what I submit to. And, and rightfully so, I think if you've worked your way up, but yeah. um, I think traveling is so important because a different parts of the country are different so you will learn how to hone your act better and then as you travel you get inspired because you're not just i mean comedy is like experiences so it's like if you're at the same place all the time doing the same fucking audiences talking to the same people it's like you're going to be one very singular um, mindset on what you think comedy is because you've done the things that are familiar to you yeah yeah it's like i think headliners get better over time not because they're better but because they're headliners and and they're headliners because they're better but then they're better because they're headliners so they're seeing more rooms they're traveling more they're seeing more things so that act is getting they're getting an hour every night for a whole weekend so five hours in a weekend around the country it's like you you better fucking get better (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're paying you for so yeah i think if you're if you're really trying to like make the leap up i think you have to travel it's like it's like a necessary thing even if they're not booking you like like no one's knocking down my fucking door to come out to cyrus you know california i have to you know no one's like we gotta get inside them yeah but you do that so that you can um advance your skill set or your whatever the fuck you're working on yeah i mean for for a person that has always lived in a in the same city and only seen that city i can certainly attest Uh to once you start traveling outside of that go you know to across the world across the country it's you definitely become a a more learned person yeah and every city every city sort of has a style too like you know chicago i've noticed Chicago, a lot of a lot of times people yell their punchlines. They take the mic further away and they yell the punchline. Austin does a lot of like 
what I call cool mom comedy. Like, what's up, you guys? <laughs> How are we doing? And I'm like, you guys know that you don't have to do comedy ironically. You can just do it. <laughs> and Houston's very aggressive in its nature. Uh-huh. You know, it, it's like, like, I remember I did a show once and then Jay White, Jay White guy, I thought I did great. And I like, in my head, I was like, that was a good set. That's fucking not a good set. And then Jay, Jay White got it was at a cold, cold, cold town. Cold town? Theater, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he came outside and he goes, you know, you don't have to fight the audience when you get up there. <laughs> They're on your side. And he goes, that's the, and he was basically saying like, you have the Houston on you. Uh-huh. You got that huh. Houston, like I, it was reeking of Houston. Yeah. And, um, you know, California is very like a lot of act outs, a lot of weird stuff versus, I'm not California, LA, um, you know, so everything has, it's like, you can, you can sort of see the styles that are formed in the pockets of places that have stayed when they've stayed there too long. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, so. Very cool. Okay. So what I have been doing with the summer vacation series is talking to people across the world and asking them to tell me what we should know about the, the comedy scene that they represent. So we already know that Houston likes to fight with its comedy. Uh, <laughs> Is there anything the, else we the audiences we, are not the audiences don't get nuance in Houston. So don't uh, come here with your fucking subtle shit, which is one of the things I hate about Houston. Uh-huh. But uh they do want tighter, compact. You gotta you gotta fucking throw it down the middle for Houston audiences. Mm-hmm. They're just they're not the dumbest, but they're not also the smartest. <laughs> okay. I have to clean up that me, up. But it's made me a better comedian. They they have made me a better comedian because yeah. I've had to. I've had to. They've also made me a worse comedian. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's I, why you go to the other cities, though, so that you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. You know. Yeah, exactly. Now, now it's come to the point where, like, if I write a joke, I'm like, that won't work here. Like, I already know that that line. Wow. Won't work yeah, I I think so. You know. Yeah. But maybe it's, I feel like this is arrogant to say, and I'm not trying to, these are just my thoughts. I'm not like, I'm not, I don't, you know, know a hundred percent of what I'm talking about. You know, I'm just, so I don't want someone to listen to this, you know, and been like, this guy fucking thinks he's, he's no, it's just, these are, these are just thoughts that you think and you hope that you're correct. Yeah. Well, most of the, the people that are listening to this, they all know that I like to pump up the comics so, yeah. you know, I think it's a byproduct of I let the comics think that they are the smartest person. And the- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Valerie, every comic ever already thinks that <laughs> every comedian ever. Think about the fact that they're like, I should talk into a microphone every night. People need to hear this. That's how comedians in their stupid fucking heads like the fact that they even think that their thoughts are worth sharing is insane. It's crazy. Wild. Yeah. So, you know, this is why I'm always torn in between telling you too much and not saying anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the other part of this uh, summer vacation series is, and what I, I love that, we opened up the counter to the Houston uh, scene. And yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, you can thank Brian Gendron for that because he said, "Man, I wish we had something like like what you have in Houston." And we, you know, started right, doing right, that. Right. And what I have loved seeing for many years, but it seems uh-huh. to be more noticeable to me now that it, we see what happens in Houston is this. It's a very mm-hmm. easy. Uh, transportation hub between Austin and, and Houston comics. Yeah. I love seeing when an Austin comic that I love is doing a show down there. And it's same, same. Yeah. I love when I see you coming up here and few, I don't know the Houston scene as well. So that's where you're going to educate me. And that's uh-huh. part of the series is who are Houston comics we need to be paying attention to. Oh, um, there's a, there's a good handful of, comedians that i love right now um my favorites are uh well andrew youngblood who's one of my best buddies uh who's on uh his opening for uh 
the old Mark Normandowski at, uh, at Ar- Arlington this weekend. Nice. Uh, yeah, man, I was going to do that, but I'm fucking here instead. <laughs> uh, uh, Trey Tutson, Victor Tran, Grady Pruitt, Radu Bondar, Michael Dayday. Um, if they're a man, you're going to, in Houston, boy, are they doing well. <laughs> yeah i have also, noticed that <laughs> i know we're racially diverse you guys are gender diverse it's fantastic we're like check out all these different types of men and you're like look at all these white people that are gender fluid and we're like all right whatever and somewhere in between there's some truth you know oh <laughs> uh, you're gonna get a lot of hate mail Mallory. Oh, I'm People. sending it all to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's some newer, there's some newer comics that I think are uh, a Bob, Bob Morrissey is one of them. I, I mean, not, not a newer comic in the first group of people that I, whose comedy I enjoy. There's, so, I mean, I feel bad because you always like feel like you're leaving people out. And as soon as someone asks you to mention, you're like, I forgot everybody I know. Well, I'm going to do you a solid. I'm going to tell you no matter what Andy Huggins is on the list. Absolutely. So. Um, uh, Andy's, I mean, Andy's, a, yeah, Andy's like the fucking goat, dude. He's a, he has this amazing joke I love so much. He goes, uh, he, fuck, I love so much I forgot it. God damn it. Oh, he's afraid of, uh, he's afraid of falling, falling right now, like on the street. So he wears a helmet and he goes, but I don't want to look stupid. So I carry a skateboard too. <laughs> Something along the lines of that. I love that. I, I butchered the joke is what I did. Yeah. But you get it. It's okay. I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Andy's fucking, I mean, Andy's been a killer, you know, before I was born. So uh, he's fantastic. Um, Bob Biggerstaff just uh, just moved back to Houston. And oh. uh, Bob, he's so funny. Uh, high, highly credited guy. Um um, yeah, uh, there's a new, newer crop of comics that I think are doing really, really, really well too. Um, Tess for Gold, uh, Kaylee White. Uh, I'm thinking. I think I saw this guy Royce Royce Moore do a set recently. Right um, but there's that. There's a couple of new comics that popped up during uh, during the pandy that are still doing comedy and I'm happy about that. Yeah. And there's also comics that popped up during the pandemic that are still doing comedy that I'm very mad about too. <laughs> it's fine. The comedy will comedy will destroy them in two years. So they'll, they'll yeah, away. it'll all work itself out. <laughs> I'm a really mean person. I'm realizing that really I am I am really a jerk. I am a fucking jerk is what I'm realizing during your podcast. Why did I sign up to this? I don't need the self-reflection. I do comedy to get away from myself. I get closer. <laughs> Well, thank you for giving me the episode title. <laughs> You're making me look at myself. What the fuck, Valerie? I'm sorry. Uh, but I don't charge you, so it's better oh, than therapy. So There you go, right there. You take Cigna? Does this podcast no, take, I take Cigna? Venmo. I take Venmo. It's at Comedy Wham, Venmo. <laughs> By the way, anybody uh, listening, donate to our Venmo. Damn it. <laughs> We're really going off the rails. I've never asked for donations in the middle of an episode. So We're Hey, I'm learning. looking at myself. I'm looking at myself that I'm a dickhead and, you know, you're getting Venmo. So yeah. figuring it out, <laughs> making it work. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to cover before we, we close out? Um, what's your favorite food, Valerie? What do you like to eat? Oh, Gosh, um, this is not uh, my interview, the, how my interview goes. Uh, <laughs> you asked me this way. <laughs> I know. What is my favorite food? Uh, Last meal, God. you're convicted of uh, lots of lots of felonies and you're about to put you out. And for some reason, they give you a last meal because they feel bad about their system. Okay. And you get one item you can order. What are you going with? Just one item. Okay. Yeah. You can't, you can't make a fucking, literally don't make a meal of it. You can make right. pad thai. one course. Pad, pad thai. Yeah. Oh my God. Look at that. 
Man, the whitest family... of the Thai foods. <laughs> <laughs> if this was Family Feud, I would not have guessed that would not have been up there. That's really? amazing. That's a great one. Pad Thai is great. Yeah, I forgot about it. God, Pad Thai existed, but you just said it. Oh, Unbelievable. Wow. Go get some. Uh, there's incredible uh, Thai food in Chicago. I I spent ten years there, and that's where I found really? the Thai food. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. gotta message me. Yeah. You gotta message me some uh, some Rex because yeah. I'm, I'm there tomorrow. So I need, give me some. Hit me with some hot Rex. Yeah, but you know everybody's gonna want to take you to pizza. So. Oh, I know. God. <laughs> yeah, I love it when pizza is in cake form. That's my favorite. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so gross. <laughs> Gino's East. That's where you go. I don't care Gino's what anybody East. says. That's my, that's Hell my yeah. ride or die. Gino's East. Some, some of the best pad thai in the country. Gino's East. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you one closing question. Sure. One word to describe your future. Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with loaded. I'm going to go loaded, still loaded, loaded with bullshit, maybe loaded with, you know, uh, possibilities, future things like good, you know, good, good things. Did I say the fucking phrase good things. God damn. Future good things. I'm a comedian. I use words every night and I, the best I could come up with was the phrase future good things. <laughs> fucking caveman shit. Uh, yeah, let's go with let's stick with loaded, you know, that uh, hopefully it's hopefully it's loaded with something, maybe a gun. All right. That was too much. That was too much. <laughs> <laughs> the mean thing it's coming. No, you're good. <laughs> I think loaded like a potato with all the favorite things. There so. you go. It's, it can go any which way, you know, so yeah. many ways to take it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Zahid Duji. Tell us where we can find you on social media and anything else you want to promote. Uh, just my full name. No one has my stupid full name. So you can find me at my whole name on everything. <laughs> uh, I was going to say something mean as well, but oh, why didn't I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I was going to say, and we won't put your name on any of the episodes. So people are going to have to figure out how to spell it. Perfect. I could not be happier. Honestly, it'd be it's the best. Make it more difficult. That's what I say. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Zahid got to be the comedic <laughs> genius that you heard today. <laughs> Just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Way and Presents Zahid Duji. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Zahid. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs>